Good morning. Welcome to Catalyst this morning. Glad you're here this morning for the message. I'm going to start off with something fun, okay? You know, the Lord says, unless we become like children, we cannot enter the kingdom of God, right? And so uh, I'm going to start with something fun. Okay, let me turn this on. Wow. Okay. You know, I think everyone likes bubbles, right? I mean, I think kids, right, love bubbles because bubbles are free and they're light, right? And they just float. They're, they feel like they're spontaneous, right? You know the problem with bubbles, though, is when opposition comes, right? They just go wherever the wind takes them, right? They're at the mercy of circumstances or situations, right? Or trials come, <laughs> right? And they feel like life is just beating them down, right? And a little pressure, a little hit, and they just start popping, right? So bubbles are really cool, right? They're, they're fun, they're cool, but they can't handle opposition very well. On the other hand, I brought something else. <laughs> this is my favorite cup. Now, actually, this is Dale's, right? She's known to like Hello Kitty, right? You know why I chose a coffee cup? You know why I chose a coffee cup? Because coffee cups are grounded. But um bum Okay, right? <laughs> coffee, coffee cups are grounded, right? They're so when opposition comes, It doesn't move because it's stable, it's sturdy, it's rooted, right? It's rooted. And you know, as Jesus followers, God wants us to be grounded. He wants us to be rooted, rooted in his word, rooted in his truth rooted in the Bible, because really the Bible expresses and reflects the heart of God, the truth of God, and who Jesus is. And so he wants us to be rooted and grounded in truth, in the word of God, because when opposition comes, and opposition will come, every one of us has faced opposition at one time. Every one of us has faced trials at one time or another. When those things come, we won't be tossed around in every which way. But we'll be sturdy and solid and stable. Ephesians 4.14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. And so God wants us to mature. Yes, have childlike innocence, childlike heart, ch 
childlike wonder in God, but mature in certain ways in our grounding in the truth, mature in our character, mature in righteousness, and in those things. Well, today we are continuing our series in Acts, and as we look at today's passage, we are going to look at two different groups of people and kind of compare them. The first group is the Bereans, the Bereans, and the second group is the Athenians, Athenians. And I think we'll see what they chose as their source of truth and what they were grounded in. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. I'm, I'm using the New American Standard Bible version today, Acts chapter 17. And before we look at it, let's have a word of prayer. Jesus, you are truth. You're all about truth. And every truth, Lord, is grounded and rooted in who you are. And God, thank you so much for your written word. Thank you for the Bible, Lord, that gives us stability, gives us security, Lord, gives us confidence to be able to stand firm in the face of oppositions and trials and circumstances and difficulties and every wind of doctrine. And so, Lord, would you today, Holy Spirit, release in us, stir in us a love, the love that's inside of us for your word, for your words, for your truth, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's look at Acts 17, starting with verse 10. I think I have it on the screen. It'll come up in a second. I'm just going to read verse 10 through 15. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And okay, so they were in Thessalonica, and they encountered trials, Paul and Silas. They were sharing the gospel. They encountered difficulties. They encountered trials. In fact, some of the Jews in Thessalonica stirred up a crowd a mob to come against Paul and Silas, right? And so the believers in Thessalonica, they knew this was going on, and so they helped Paul and Silas to leave and go to Berea, which is about 50 miles away. Verse 11, now these were more noble-minded, the Bereans, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And so these guys that were stirring up trouble for Paul and Silas coming against them, they heard what was going on in Berea, 50 miles away, and they traveled to Berea to stop Paul and Silas in this other city, this other town. Verse 14, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they left, right? So there was a mob stirred up, and 
that the Christians, these brand new Christians in Berea, who had heard the word of God from Paul and Silas, they hear about it, they realize that these guys from Thessalonica are coming. And so they say, oh, we got to keep these guys safe, right? They're preaching the word of God. And so what do these brand new Christians, imagine, new Christians, they exhibit tremendous faith and courage, and they help Paul and Silas to move on, to escape. And it says they escort them to a, probably to a ship, and some of them went as far as escorting them all the way to Athens, which was about 200 miles away. So these brand new believers, right, they're so on fire, they're so committed to the Lord that they come alongside Paul and Silas, they help them escape, and some of them, some of them drop what they're doing, travel 200 miles with Paul and Silas to Athens, or Paul actually, Silas remained in Berea, travel with Paul to escort him there, all right? What does Paul do when he first gets to Berea? At the beginning, we, we learn about, what does Paul do when he first gets to Berea? What does Paul do almost every time he gets to a new town? What does he do? He goes to the synagogue. He goes to the Jewish synagogue, and he starts preaching the gospel, right? Can you imagine that, right? Can you imagine going to a city and going to an Islamic mosque or to a Buddhist temple, right, or to some place, right, a, a Jew, Jewish synagogue, and then you start preaching the gospel. He goes right in there and starts preaching the gospel and witnessing, and the Bereans respond. The Bereans respond positively. Why? Well, it says they were, number one, noble-minded. So that sense of that word, noble-minded, is they were princely. They were people of integrity. And they were intellectually honest. Boy, do we need that today, right? Princely, noble-minded, intellectually honest, integrity. Second, it says they were open. They were open to receiving the truth. Third, it says they were eager to learn. They were hungry for the truth. They were eager to learn what Paul had to say. And then fourth, they were diligent. It says they examined, they investigated the scripture. When I looked at this word, it kind of has a sense of, they were like a, a Berean CSI investigation, right? They were, invest they were digging into, at that time they just had the Old Testament, they were digging into the Old Testament scriptures to see, hey, is what Paul is saying true? We got to check this out. It says daily, every day they were gathering because they wanted to know the truth. They were hungry for the truth and they were searching and digging into the scriptures. And many of them through that process realized, you know what Paul is telling us is true. I never realized, I never saw these scriptures in Isaiah that talk about the coming Messiah must come and he will die and he will die for our sins, right? And they were eyes open, and it says, many of them, many of them believed, believed. The Bereans were committed to truth and seeking and looking and digging into and finding truth. They wanted to find truth. Why? Because they wanted to be grounded. They wanted to be solid. They wanted to be stable. They wanted to be rooted so that whenever any opposition came, 
they would be able to stand firm in the truth, in the truth. You know, being grounded in God's truth, if you're not grounded, you're going to be like the bubbles. When we start, how many of us want to be like bubbles? Yeah, it's fun to be a bubble for a while, right? All of us want to be, I, I'm kind of a bubble person, I think. I, I'm kind of a, you know, my personality type is like, you know, the animals, otter, the golden retriever, lion, beaver. I'm otter. I'm an otter. I, I like to have fun. I'm, but I recognize, too, I can't be otter all the time. There's got to be something that's solid, something that's grounded, something that's committed, something that has conviction, right? And so opposition can come. We see in here. Opposition came from 50 miles away. They were just doing their thing in Berea. Paul was teaching them the word. And these Thessalonians, Thessalonians, 50 miles away, they came to harass, to riot, to come against them. If you're rooted in the truth, especially if you're rooted trying to root yourself in God's word, you're going to face opposition. In fact, opposition is going to seek you out to come against you. And so that's why God says he wants us to be rooted. Will we be able to stand? Will you be able to stand in your faith, in the face of opposition, and in increasingly worldly, secularized culture? Somebody sent me this link. Actually, Mike Newsom sent me this link to this program. It's called Wretched. And um, I, so I watched it. And I go, this is really cool because there's this guy. Um, he goes around. He's part of this organization called Wretched. It's Wretched.com. You can go to the website. And their whole goal, their whole intent is to preach the gospel and help people to see the truth and present reason and um, intelligent, critical thinking about the truth of God's word. So I wanted to show you a little clip of this because in this clip, the guy, he's talking with this young gal. He goes on to, a lot of times he'll go on to college campuses and just get into dialogue and you'll see the setup. But this particular one, I thought it was very interesting. So let's, let's watch that right now.
Bible's clear, right? There is truth. And just because you believe something is true, even if you believe it really, really bad, doesn't make it true. Because truth stands alone. Truth stands alone. And God, he wants us to be grounded in his truth. To recognize there is a truth. It's not like the world is saying. It's not like whatever you believe is good for you and whatever you believe is good for you and whatever I believe is good for me. Because some and maybe a lot of what we or other people believe is flat out wrong. It doesn't align with God's truth. You know, in order for us to fulfill our new vision, our new vision, so we're into Catalyst 2.0, right? So we're introducing new things, and it's a work in progress, but I love the direction we're going in. But one of the things that we're incorporating to fulfill our new vision are things called these focal points. And two of the focal points are these. One of our focal points, the things we will focus on, is this. And we have a slide. We want to see life through God's lenses, all right? We want to see life through God's lenses. That's one of our focal points. So in other words, how we interpret the world, how we see the world, how we understand the world, all of that is filtered through God's lens, which is the word of God. Right? Because a lot of circumstances, a lot of things that happen in life and happen to us, we interpret out of our own thinking, out of our own feelings, out of our own experience, out of our own understanding. But this says, no, because we could be wrong. Our feelings could be based on something that's false. Our circumstances could lead us to believing lies. Our perceptions could be wrong because of different things, things we've heard, things we've learned, social media, right? Things we, someone, someone said, something someone said to us. So our lenses will be colored. But this says we want to view and interpret and understand everything through the lens of God's glasses, which is the word. 
Second focal point is hearing, obeying, and obeying God's spoken and written word. We want to not only hear, and we're including God's written and spoken word. Written, the Bible, spoken, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us some truth or some insight or some revelation that is lined up with the word, right? And so we want to hear and obey. Now let me ask you a question. What is your source of truth? Let's say an alien came from outer space, landed here, spent a week with you, talked with you, you shared all your thoughts and thinking. What would they say for you is your primary source of truth? God wants us to be fully committed to the truth of the Bible. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's contrary to worldly culture, even, like I said, if it's different than our own thinking and feeling, he wants us to be committed to the whole thing, that this is God's truth. This is God's truth. We can't just pick and choose what we like. And discard what we don't like. Oh, I like this is a really good passage. I love this passage. This one, what about this one? Well, I don't really, I ignore that one. I don't really read that one. I don't like that one. We can't, we can't do that. How about these beauties, right? These truths. Money. Give first 10% to God so you won't be stealing from him. I don't like that one. I don't, I'm not going to do that one. I have too many bills. I got too many things going on. I want to buy this for myself. I'm not going to do that one. How about this one? Relationships. Forgive and don't hold grudges. Honor all people. Ooh, that one's okay for all of these people. That person, no. <laughs> I don't like that verse for this person. But I'll, I can do it with all everyone else. That's okay. What about these? Wives, submit to your husband and everything. Ooh. That's probably written by man. <laughs> I don't like that one. Right? I don't like that one. How about this one? Husbands, love your wives. Just says Christ loved the church and, church and what? Gave himself up for her. That's right, Hector. He died for her. Husbands, love your wives. Die for them. Ew. No. <laughs> Not that one. God says, knowing his word and being committed to his word fully is the only way we will find grounding and security stability in this life you know today there are hundreds of doors just like the slide hundreds of doors that we can choose from that purport to present the truth and there's probably now so many more today than there ever was right because everyone is a prophet 
right? And their forum is Facebook, right? Or Instagram or Snapchat or I don't know, there's probably a hundred more of that new ones. I'm probably old school. Those are probably, those are old school. Yeah, there's these, all these other ones that people are looking at now, right? But the truth is important because it leads us to the truth, which is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except with, through me. Some of us, we don't like that. We like it for ourselves. Okay, that's good because I've accepted Jesus. I'm good. Oh, but we don't like it for our non-Christian friends. Because what's going to happen to them? But that's the truth, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you will not find your way in life without me. You will not be grounded in truth without coming to me first. You will not have life unless you submit to me and put me He's the only source, the only standard of truth. And grounding ourselves in the word of God helps us to be grounded in Jesus. Not only that, the word of God, right? It's the only thing that is mentioned in Ephesians 6 about the arm of God. It's the only offensive weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. Someone got a word this morning at a sermon time. We are supposed to go on the offensive. You can't go on the offensive with this armor and a shield. What are you going to butt people to death? (laughs) uh, uh, Trying to come against the enemy comes at you, right? You need a weapon, right? So when the enemy comes at you and says, you know that sin you did? I don't think God can forgive you of that one. No, no. You've done that one so many times. How can he keep forgiving you of that? If you don't have a weapon, how are you going to fight that? You know the weapon, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the enemy comes out that, you just whip out that sword and say, 1 John 1, 9, (laughs) take that. As far as the east is for the west, God has removed my head. Yeah, right? You could come back because of the truth of the word of God. Okay, so that's all about the Bereans. Let me just spend a few minutes. The Bereans were committed to digging into the word because they wanted to know the truth. Now let's look at the Athenians. Let's look at verse 16, the Athenians. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked, stirred up, agitated within him as he was observing the city full of idols. It reminds me of Japan. Earlier this year, Gail and I went to Japan. We were in Kyoto, and we stayed in this Airbnb right in Kyoto. And it's like 
there are temple after temple after temple. I couldn't believe it. Like in this one little square block, there was like 10 temples. It's like one after another. And, another. and this is one block. And there's this block, block after block after block after block, temple after shrine after temple after shrine. It's like, wow, no wonder why Japan is the most open, closed country in the world. It's spiritually open, but it's internally people are closed because of the idols. This is, reminds me of what it was like in Athens. Verse 70, so he was reasoning, reasoning with his mind in the synagogue with the Jews. There he is again, at it again in the synagogue. And the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. Verse 18, and also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing, that word could actually be debating with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? This word babbler, it's the image of a bird picking out seeds. So in other words, they were saying, he's just the biggest plagiarist of ever. He's just picking up whatever thing, whatever he's heard along the way, and he's just combining it together. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him, brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Something new. As I said, Athens had many gods, and they practically had a god for anything. Anything you could think of, there was probably a god for it. In fact, there was a saying back in ancient days, the saying was this, in Athens, it was easier to find a god than a man. That's a lot of gods. That's a lot of gods. Now, why do people like to have gods? Why do people like idols? Well, I thought of three things. Number one, they're controllable. Idols are controllable. In some sense, idols are shaped to be what we want them to be because we make them, we create them, we carve them. We attribute these attributes to them. And so they are controllable. They're understandable because they're made in our image, right? There's nothing like, way out there, otherworldly, supernatural, beyond our understanding, because we've created them. And so they're understandable. And the gods were fallible. They had shortcomings, like us. You know what that does? It really lowers the standard, right? Because if you have these gods that are fallible, it's like, okay, well, I'm not so different than them. Ultimately, all idols and gods are attractive because we become the standard. We become the source of truth. Not an all-powerful, holy, perfect being whose standard is too high for us that we could not even hope to attain it. So the only way to come into relationship with him is to humble ourselves and submit and throw ourselves on his mercy and then receive Jesus Christ.
God's lower the standard. So we don't have to feel guilty. So we're, people are okay with their fellow flaws and their fallibility. And they don't have to submit to an all-powerful, holy, almighty God. In contrast, the truth of the Bible leads to Jesus as the standard, as the source. For Athenians, they could pick and choose the source of truth they wanted to by picking and choosing whatever God they wanted to. Whatever suited them, they could pick and choose. Now, does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like culture today? People are picking and choosing what they want to believe is true. And you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I lived back in the day when the TV shows were Gilligan's Island and, you know, Brady Bunch and all those things. Some of the things that people are believing and purporting as truth today, it's crazy. It's like crazy stuff. Really? R really? That's, that's what you believe? Just like this girl in this video, right? He said, imagine I believed in Elvis and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Am I wrong? She couldn't say he was wrong. That's what happens when you have no standard and no source of truth. Or your source and standard of truth is outside of the Lord of Jesus. You know, real quickly in closing, Paul says he converses with these different people. One was the Epicureans. Basically, the Epicureans believed life was about pleasure. Life was about comfort. Life was about experience, and all truth comes through experience. You know what their motto was, the Epicureans? Enjoy your life. And then there were the Stoics. They believed in discipline. They believed in self-control. They believed in re reason and suppressing feelings and circumstances. You could only rely on yourself. You know what their motto was? Endure your life. Epicureans, enjoy your life. Theirs was endure your life. And then we have the Athenians in general. And it says in verse 21 that they believe whichever new fad came along, their motto was elect your life. You can just choose whatever you want to choose. That's your truth. And then there's the fourth one, Jesus and the word. And his motto is, enter through life. What is your motto? How do you live? What do you choose? Is your number one thing enjoy? Now, God wants us to enjoy your life, but is your number one thing that drives you? Enjoy your life. Be comfortable. Is your number one thing, I got to be do everything. I got to be disciplined. I got to be on top of it. I can't rely on anyone else. Is your number one thing, okay, what's good for them? What's good for them? What's good for me? What's good for me? Everyone gets to choose. Or is your number one thing, Jesus and his word, because he's the only one that offers true life.
spiritual life, eternal life. Real quick, three applications. First, number one, decide. Just do it. Nike, decide. In your heart, are you willing to submit to the whole Bible as true and diligently seek to follow it? It's the heart issue. I know we all, you know, struggle at times, but I'm talking about the heart. In your heart, have you made that decision? Yeah, the Bible is the truth. The whole Bible. I'm not going to shortchange it anymore. I'm not going to ignore parts that I don't like. They might be hard, but I'm committed in my heart to the whole truth. To read. Commit to regularly reading your Bible. Many of you have version, Great app. Recommend you download. You could do it in community, right? You could do these Bible plans, and they're on all these, they got all these different topics, and then you pick that topic, and it'll give you scriptures to read, daily scriptures to reading on that topic. And you could do it with other people. And it's great to do it in community because you encourage one another. But read, commit to regularly reading by, and then three, apply. Each day practice one thing Jesus tells you to do. Just take a step. Each day practice one thing Jesus tells you through the Holy Spirit or it, that's in his word to do. To do. Okay, this is our choice, right? Bubbles? You want to be a bubble? That's how you want to go through life? Or you want to be grounded in the truth that leads to life. It's our choice. Let's bow forward and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word, which is Jesus. And thank you for the truth, Lord, that you give us grace that you love us, you give us grace, you give us your word, you give us your truth to lead us into life abundantly, to give us roots and stability and strength so we could stand against the opposition of the world, we could stand against all these false prophets of the world, we could stand in the face of difficult circumstances, Lord, we could stand and maintain our faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, would you unlock, would you release, would you explode within us our hunger and our desire for your word. So people will say, those Catalyst people, they're like Bereans. They love the word. They love your truth, and they're committed to you.